I kind of last week did a little intro to the series, but really starting on this idea of the ruthless elimination of a hurry. Now, the interesting thing about the series is some of you are reading the books and going to Sunday school, and so you, you've all morning been talking about this. Some of you are not, and I would encourage you, if you aren't, to read the book and to get involved in Sunday school. But, but it does propose a little interesting thing for me, right? Because I want to sort of introduce this to some of you that aren't following along, but also push a little bit some of you that are following along. And so what I'm going to kind of do is give my own take on some of these topics as we go through. I want to begin today by looking at two different scriptures. The first is Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? With ten, thousands of, with ten thousands of rivers of oil, shall I get my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for my sin, my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So Micah is this prophet. He, he's living in this real time of tension and fear in Israel. It's about the 8th century B.C., and the, the northern part of Israel, um, called Israel at the time, uh, has been kind of wiped out by this superpower that's growing to the north. Their, head, their, their main capital city of Samaria has been pretty destroyed. They're in trouble. And what everybody sort of knows is if the power to the north decided to, they could come down and wipe out the southern part too. They could wipe out Judah. They could destroy Jerusalem And uh, really, anything could set them off, and they could decide to do that at any time. And so Micah is writing to say, well, how do we get here? If we're God's chosen people, right? Lord, what what do you want from us? What did we do wrong? How do we fix this? And so he's debating. He's writing to try to get Israel back on track. And what he says is that what God does not want is big signs of worship. What God doesn't want is a bunch of more sacrifices. You know, thousands of more rams. That's a lot of rams. Okay, tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Okay, the oil was used to, to help light the sacrifices. So you think, do you think what God wants is more religion? you think what God wants is more religious people? No. I mean, you could go, in Micah's, Micah makes the argument, I mean, if you want to go really religious, you want to sacrifice your firstborn? That's what some people say. I can sacrifice a ram. That's no big sacrifice. Sacrifice my firstborn. But Micah says, no, no, no. God doesn't want more sacrifice. He doesn't want more worship. He doesn't want you to be more religious. What he wants is you to live a certain way. And he boils it down real simply. To do justice. To work for what God wants in this world. So the world looks like God's plan. To love mercy or kindness. To be loving and caring. And to just walk humbly with God. Walk humbly, walk simply. Just walk through this world without a lot of pride, without a lot of sense of self. Just walk humbly through this world. That's what God wants, and Israel's not doing it. Israel is trying to do the sacrifice, trying to be the big religious, but, but they're not actually living the way God wants them to, which is simply. Now, to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I brought a yoke. This is a yoke. Okay, people have seen this before. A lot of people around the world have never really seen these. But you live in Amish country, so you see this kind of stuff on a regular basis. You honk at people who have these, right? And so this is a yoke, and it was used. This was uh, basically the transmission of the ancient world, right? Where you would put this on your animal. I just made myself the donkey here, okay? But so that the, whatever the animal would push, the cart, the, uh, the, whatever the farming instrument would be, it would give power. But this was also used as a metaphor for the Jewish people. And this is what Jesus is referencing. Your yoke was the teaching of your rabbi. So in the Old Testament, there were all these, you know, there, there's all these rules. Okay, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? What, is, what counts as work and what doesn't count as work? Well, a rabbi would interpret that. And they would say, okay, this counts as work. If you walk this far away from your house, you're still in your neighborhood. That's fine. But if you walk further than this many steps, that's considered work. So they would sort of build what they called a hedge around the law to interpret exactly what does God mean when he says to observe the Sabbath. What can can't you do on Sabbath? It was called a yoke. So every rabbi had a yoke. And if you were a disciple of that rabbi... You'd have to take, you'd have to know their yoke, and you'd have to take on their yoke. So depending on who your rabbi was, you might debate about certain things you could and couldn't eat that were in between the laws of the Old Testament. It was a yoke. So Jesus says, hey, come to me if you're really weary, because my yoke is what? Easy. It's light. Okay? I, I bring, I give you rest. I don't ask a lot of you. Okay? And I have another yoke in my office. It's actually two yokes where you would yoke two animals together. And I think that's maybe what Jesus is implying here. Like, I'll help carry your yoke. Right? I'm the one who's going to help carry your yoke. But your yoke was a teaching. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I don't expect a lot from you. Okay? It echoes what I think Micah is saying. God's not asking for big, big displays. He's not asking for all this awesomeness. Just simply take on my yoke. It's easy. Just walk humbly. <clears throat> that means we're supposed to be like Jesus' disciples. When you were a disciple and you took on somebody's yoke, you were supposed to try to act like your master. Act like your rabbi. You're supposed to be a disciple. Disciples knew what the master knew, but they also did what the master did. They were apprentices in the yoke and the teaching and the living of their rabbi. So let me ask you a question. Who's your rabbi? It should be Jesus. The yoke that you should be under should be the yoke of Jesus. But let me ask you a question. If I look at your life, does it seem really easy and burden-free? Is it very restful? Okay, if you're supposed to apprentice in the way of Jesus to be like your rabbi, Jesus was often going off by himself to pray. How are you doing it going off by yourself to pray? Okay, Jesus is, was, was stooped in Scripture. He quoted it and referenced it all the time. How are you doing it being stooped in Scripture? He tells us to stop and consider the lilies of the field. Have you been able to stop and consider any lilies of late? No, a lot of times I don't think we look that much like we're apprenticed in the way of Jesus. In fact, I think we look a lot like the world. The part of the problem is that the way of Jesus is often a slow way. A patient way. But the drive of the world is to busyness. Extreme busyness. 
You just you have to have lots to do and you have to speed. And, and, and I like the word hurry because uh, in the book he talks about how busyness. Well, Jesus was pretty busy. He had places to go. He had people to see, but he was never in that big of a hurry. He was always able to stop and rest, pull over and talk to somebody on the side of the road. He wasn't rushing from thing to thing to thing, but that's what we seem to do, isn't it? We go from thing to thing to thing. We're doing one thing. We're already rushing to go to the next thing. In our head, we're already at the next. A lot of us, we're sitting here on Sunday morning thinking about what the rest of the day holds. We're never present in the moment. It's a pathological busyness to hurry and to hustle all the time. And then to distract ourselves with screens and digital things. Everybody, we're in overload. And the statistics are out. Like, we're getting burned out and we are getting sick because of how much we go Go, go. And it's odd because we live in such a great time of technological advancement. We can communicate. My pocket, I have this thing that can communicate to your pocket anytime, anywhere. We could be so efficient. I can send you pictures. We can share documents. If I can't talk, I can text. I can be so accessible to everyone. There was a... Uh, um, my friend, we, And then... Think about this. We can all order practically anything from anywhere, and we expect it to be here prime in two days. My buddy who lives in Seattle, they have two-hour Amazon Prime. Most objects, they can order, and Amazon will deliver it within two hours. Okay? We want stuff instantly. Uh, In 1930, a British economist named John Maynard Keynes suggested that in the future... People were going to have a new problem. This is 1930. He said, we're going, to, we're going to advance so much technologically that what's going to happen is we're going to be so efficient at our work because of all the technology, robots, and all this stuff that the real problem of the future for humanity is going to be totally new. It's going to be what to do with all your leisure time. The whole problem is going to be oh, you're going to have so much leisure time because you're so efficient at what you do that, that that's going to be the problem for humanity. Everybody, how's your leisure time? Yeah, how's your leisure time? Like that was a future prediction that was way off. Instead, we're rushing, racing to do more, see more, be more. We see it all around us. Okay, this spring, this spring I I did a Walmart pickup. Okay, so I ordered my groceries online, and they'll shop it for you, and then you just pull in, and they just put them in the trunk of your car. It's awesome. Okay, but on this particular day, they did not have enough staff or something because they were running way behind. Okay, you had to wait like a half hour for your groceries, and uh, and they were doing the best they could, but you can tell they're just not staffed for all the demands. So there's spots uh, at Walmart, and they're all full, and we're all just sitting there waiting. Except the guy in the car next to me is not waiting well at all. Okay, I can't read lips. But there are certain words you can read lips on, you know what I mean? He's using some of those words. And then occasionally, he's grabbing the steering wheel and shaking it so hard like this that the whole car is shaking. Like I thought he was going to turn green and rip the steering wheel off and burst out of the car. And I'm looking at this guy like, man, where do you need to be? You know what I mean? Like if your wife's having a baby, pick up your groceries tomorrow. You know what I mean? What in the world are you doing? Someone needs surgery, you should just leave now. Okay? Don't worry about the milk. And I was thinking in my head, like, man, 
you know, it wasn't that long ago, you had to actually shop for your own groceries, right? You had to go in there for an hour and a half and pick out the stuff you wanted. Actually, it wasn't that long ago, there wasn't a Walmart. You had to go to five stores to do what we just did. Grocery store, the pharmacy, the hardware store, the electronics. Like, you had to go to clothing store. You had to go to all these stores. Now you just pull in and they put it in your trunk. It wasn't that long ago you had to grow your own lettuce, everybody. Right? You wanted, you wanted milk, you had to milk your own cow or trade with the neighbor that had one. Okay? Like, what is this guy... But, but we all can sense that, right? We've all been in those moments where we're in a hurry to get to what? I don't even know. This guy couldn't wait the 25 minutes for somebody else to do his shopping. We don't like to rest either. Have you noticed this? First of all, before we go on vacation, we work like dogs to get ready for vacation. And then how many of you vacation with somebody that way over plans vacation? Anybody? Where like the, you want to... Like, okay, at 9.37, we need to be moving on to the next thing. Like, we don't even rest well. When you come back from vacation, you need another vacation from vacation. And I don't think this is just a young person thing either and a young family thing, although, although young families are really caught up in it. I've talked to plenty of people who retired and now are more busy than when they worked. They just rush from thing to thing to thing. And then this funny thing happens. Some of you have experienced this. Where you have some health concerns and you can't rush as much. And now you're rushing from doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment. Right? And then, and then there's this amazing thing that happens. And I've had this conversation with some of you. Where you get to where you can't do what you used to do. Right? And people will tell me this. Jordan, I just feel sorry because I can't do as much in the church as I used to do. And I think, what, what, where did we get this guilt that we have to do more and more and more? And the shame, that's, that, right? Like this drive that we have to accomplish more, do more, be everywhere to everybody. Like even when your body starts telling you you can't do it anymore, there's a guilt and a shame that you can't do it anymore. So we all go through this, Right? Where we, we're trying to go, go, cram more into our lives. And all the while, what are the things we never seem to get to? Prayer. Bible study. And we wonder why Christians look exactly like the world when they're not taking any time to apprentice in the way of Jesus and they're always apprenticing in the way of the world. And let me confess something to you that as a pastor, this isn't like, I'm, this is not, this hits me too. Okay, I'm a driver. I like to go, go, go. I like to accomplish a lot of stuff. Okay? And I'm telling you, like, I'm allowed to stop my work and pray. Right? Nobody's going to get mad if they're like, oh, Jordan was stopping to pray this afternoon. Like, I'm supposed to be able to do that, and I find it hard. And if I find it hard, I know a lot of you also find it hard. We all want to keep busy. We all feel this drive to keep going, keep going, keep going. I've come to agree with the quote that inspired this book. And uh, the quote comes from a writer named Dallas Willard, who was, who was mentoring another pastor and writer named John Ortberg. And, and John Ortberg asked him, well, Dallas, what do I need to do to become the me that I really want to be? And Dallas said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, and John Ortberg said, oh, that's interesting. He sort of wrote it down and, you know, he said, OK, well, what else? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. 
you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think the world is pulling us away from Jesus, and it is time to fight back. We're never going to totally be able to eliminate hurry, I just don't think, but, it, but, but we can start to eliminate that hurry. Try to slow down. Because some of the best things in life come from interruptions. Some of the spirit-led things come from our margins and our downtime. And if we never get there, we're missing out on some important things in life. And, and I learned this in the book, too, and it's, been, it's caused me to think a lot. That hurry doesn't just harm our relationship. It God harms our relationship with each other. Okay, if I'm always hurrying to get on to the next thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing, I'm never present. Which means that if I'm sitting with my wife, if I'm playing with my kids, if I'm with one of you in this church, if I'm working on something, I'm never fully present in the relationship that I'm currently invested in. Right? I'm just rushing to the next thing. Imagine you're, you're driving in a car with somebody and you're late and so you're rushing to get there. You're not talking to them. You're not listening to what they have to say. You're just rushing to the next thing. It hurts our relationship. So why do we do it? Why do we hurry like we do? Well, well I think some of it's just learned. Some of it's just automatic pilot. We just assume because everybody else is hurrying around like an idiot. We should hurry around like an idiot. We never stop to think. Maybe we should slow down. Maybe we shouldn't rush like this. Sometimes I think we're, we're running from ourselves. We're hiding from ourselves. If we ever stop moving, maybe, maybe we wouldn't like the thoughts and the feelings that would catch up with us. You ever done that? You ever gone on an actual vacation? Or you get sick, so you have to stop, and just, like, you shut down for several days. You didn't even know. Every time I go on vacation, like, I didn't know how much I was running until I stopped and crashed. I don't always like myself when I crash. I don't always like what I see when I have to stop and look in the mirror a little bit more. But I think there's even a larger spiritual issue. And it's the tendency that we have to hurry is actually about our lack of a belief in grace. We really don't believe in grace. I mean, would we rush around if we actually believe that, that God couldn't love you any more than he already does? Jesus can't die for you any more than he already has. You're never going to earn more of God's love. Okay? You're never going to destroy God's favor in your life. That's grace. And maybe God doesn't want us to do a bunch more, right? Maybe Micah's onto something. He doesn't want all these sacrifices. Like we keep thinking we've got to sacrifice. We've got to do more. We've got to give more. And, and maybe what God wants is actually just simply slow down and walk with me a little while. It's not about being productive for God as if we can earn God's love. It's actually about what God is producing in us. It's not what you can accomplish. It's what God can accomplish through you. And that's a very different kind of mentality. You have to live your life a little different to pull that off. I have to create the space to let God be producing in me. Our hurry actually betrays our lack of trust for God to be the source of what we do in our lives. We want to be the source. We want to keep going. And, and God says, no, no, no. I'm going to be the source. Why don't you plug in? Why don't, why don't you actually take the time to be connected so that I can be the source? And it doesn't mean that we aren't busy. It doesn't mean that, that we don't do things to change the world. Actually, we may end up doing more things. But the pace is different. And the focus is different. 
the tone, the reason is different because and what I'm going to focus on instead of doing more is rooting more in Christ so that God is doing more in me. So that following God is not a must or a should. Uh, Brendan Manning used to always say, don't should on me. Or keep your should to yourself. Okay? Don't, don't should on me. It's a, it's a get to. It's an invitation that God has to say, I want to do work in this world and I want to do it through you. And I want to form you and prepare you. We are not the cause of what gets done in this world. We're a tool that God uses for his plans and his purposes. So what we need to do is, is take the time to let God form us. To let God sharpen us and make us into a tool. There's a lot of Christians who, who um, uh, you know, they're just a lump of metal. They've never let God form them. And so if we ever need to crash into something, they're going to be the perfect tool for it. If we ever need to cut something, they're, they're the wrong tool. We need to make it sure to be a tool for Jesus, right? Kind of like that idea. We have to let God form us into the tool that he needs us to be. Over the next couple of weeks, then, we're going to talk about how do you slow down. You've got to get rid of some of this hustle, this rush in life, to create the space for God to form us. So we're going to look at next week at silence and solitude, being quiet and alone. We're going to look at Sabbath. We're going to look at how to simplify or declutter our lives. We're going to look at how to actually slow down. Less gas, more brakes. Actually slowing ourselves down a little bit. But for, for now, I just want you to get the perspective. That God wants to form you. And that you can trust that what God does in you is going to be more than what you can do in your own. So, so slow down a little bit. Stop the hustle. Then your mind moved from go, go, go to grow, grow, grow as the goal. Move from go for broke to the easy yoke. Not only will there be more peace in your life, but your connection with God will be stronger. Your connection with other people will be stronger. And then God will actually have the room to work through you. Let's pray. Humble us, we pray, Lord, that we would walk with you. That we would trust you with the things that you have for us to do. Slow us, Lord. Speak to us. Reach us in our busyness, we pray. Pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.